When I was a junior in college, uh, I had a terrifying and exhilarating encounter that made a huge impact on me. I uh, had gotten a dream job as a college student. I was the uh, Iowa City sports correspondent for KWWL, which meant I got to cover the Iowa Hawkeyes from preseason to Pasadena. Yes, I got to go to the Rose Bowl, the last Rose Bowl they went to. And um, so it was a great experience for me. I loved every minute of it. Um, they, they had an amazing team that you're loaded with talent. Matt Rogers, at quarterback. They had a guy named Nick Bell who was a running back, 245 pounds. He was like an offensive lineman who would just run full speed at you. Um, he, she was an All-American, Big Ten MVP. Um, he shared time with Tony Stewart. He rushed for over 1,000 yards, sharing time with another great back. Amazing player. And so um, my first experience ever shooting sideline footage was at the Iowa-Tulsa game that fall. And I was just excited to be in the stadium. I was excited to be there. But I've got a camera, and I'm on the sideline, and I'm shooting this game when all of a sudden Matt Rogers hands the ball to Nick Bell, and he bursts through this offense, this line, just like this picture right here, comes charging through the line. All the barriers between him and the end zone, all the barriers between him and me just disappear, and I'm zoomed in on him, and I have got the shot. And I'm thinking, this is so awesome. This is great. Like, I'm going to be promoted. I've got such a good shot of this, right? And I'm shooting it, and he's coming at me, and I'm zooming out, and he's just filling my frame, and I keep zooming out, and I'm, he's filling my frame. I'm like, this is so cool. This is the best thing ever, right? I'm in my own little world. And I keep zooming out, and he's angling, and all of a sudden, it's like I'm zooming out, and now I don't have any more zoom, and he's still coming, all of a sudden... Bam! He and two Tulsa defenders hit me at the exact same time. And I go head over heels, over head over heels, and the sparks fly as the cord rips from my camera and the tape deck. And every station across Iowa showed this multiple times in slow motion. <laughs> so you could actually see those sparks coming out of the camera. And I landed on my feet somehow, and, uh, and I'm like, you know, I'm just shaking from the adrenaline. Everybody's coming up here, are you okay, are you okay? And miraculously, I was fine, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. And Nick Bell's running back to the huddle, and he keeps kind of looking over his shoulder, so I went out on the field and said, Nick, are you all right? And he, he was okay, so. <laughs> I was looking at Bell the whole time, but somehow I didn't see what was coming. Right? And the impact was both terrifying and exhilarating. I was like, I love this job. This is awesome. I'm like right in the action and I was hooked and I actually made me, you know, love it even more and want to be there. But it also forever changed the way I shot sideline footage. I never shot it the same way again. It was the first and last time I was ever hit on the sideline. That impact though, it, it changed me, right? I had this impact and this is what it's like, I believe, to encounter Jesus. As a church, we want you to experience this. Not getting run over by Nick Bell, but an encounter with Jesus. It's our deepest desire. It's our central mission here at Orchard Hill Church to help others encounter Jesus, no matter how terrifying it may be. Because it's also exhilarating and life-changing. This morning, as I said, is our Vision Sunday. And our mission here at Orchard Hill Church is to help people become fully devoted followers of Christ. And we believe that Jesus is rushing at each one of us here this morning, both lifelong followers of Jesus, people who are running away from Jesus, people who have denied Jesus. He's relentlessly removing barriers, every barrier imaginable, to make it possible for us to have an encounter with Him. Because encountering Jesus is both the foundation and the fuel for becoming a fully devoted follower of Christ. 
So our goal this morning is to be as clear as we possibly can about what this looks like biblically as well as what that biblical reality looks like when it's played out here at Orchard Hill Church. Because we want those of you who are investing and praying and serving in the, ministry, in the mission and ministry here at Orchard Hill Church to continue to do so, to be inspired and encouraged to continue praying and serving and giving. And we want those of you who maybe haven't joined that mission yet to get a clear vision of this, to be inspired and encouraged to join us or maybe find a new way to jump all in on this mission, this life-giving mission with us. So we're looking at two stories from the Gospel of John this morning that are about people who encountered Jesus. One of the people is somebody who knew the Messiah, knew about the Messiah, but was about as far away from Jesus as you can be. And the other one is somebody who actually had spent a lot of time with Jesus, had several encounters with Jesus. And we read about the last encounter that he has with Jesus and how it launches him into one of the most amazing comeback stories of all time. These stories are to remind us that all of us need encounters with Jesus. We know that John was one of the first people that Jesus invited to follow him and become one of his disciples. And, And so John is following Jesus and he actually writes a biography. And he's the one who tells us this first story this morning in his fourth chapter of his biography. We begin in verse 4. And John tells us this. He says, now he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. They've been out on a mission trip baptizing people and they've been recruiting followers of Jesus. And now he has to go through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. The location of our story is the West Bank. Today what we know as the West Bank and the hostility and the division of this hotly contested area, one of the most hotly contested pieces of real estate throughout history. The hostility, the division, the hatred that existed there has been there for a long time. We read about it today, but we even know as Jesus arrives in Samaria that the Jews and the Samaritans had a great dislike for each other. They did not like each other. And John says Jesus had to go through Samaria. The truth is most Jews would bypass Samaria because they didn't want to rub shoulders with the Samaritans because they thought it would make them impure. There's other routes around, but the Bible, the story is telling us that Jesus had to go through Samaria. And I believe the Holy Spirit is actually calling Jesus to go to Samaria to do the will of his Father. He's going there with a sense of urgency and intentionality of a divine encounter. Jesus relentlessly, intentionally looks for faraway people and goes to hard to reach places. And uh, after the resurrection, we know that he's going to encourage the disciples to do the same thing. He's going to encourage them to go out and minister in ever widening circles to begin at home in Jerusalem, but then go to Judea and then to Samaria and then to the ends of the world that God so loves. Because he doesn't want distance or culture or our dislike of each other or other people who are different than us to get in the way of an encounter with him. He wants to remove all those barriers. Certainly, Jesus wants us to help our kids and our own families, our own uh, friends here with us to encounter Jesus and to have this life-changing experience. But he doesn't want us to stop there. We can't stop there, and we won't stop there. This is why we continue to invest our resources outside of this building and outside of our own neighborhoods and communities. It's why we went to Grundy Center 10 years ago. It's why we partner with Harvest in Walnut Neighborhood in East Waterloo. It's why we continue to uh, ask people to go to faraway people like Pinon, Haiti, 
and why we continue to invest in hard-to-reach places like Mozambique. It's why we're investigating a campus right now in Waverly. Because Jesus goes intentionally, urgently into Samaria to meet with someone who does not know him, but whom he loves and whom his father loves. As a church, we will continue to intentionally go to hard-to-reach places and faraway people. So Jesus, he gets to Samaria, right? And he's wiped out. It's noon. The sun is hot. He's been traveling. And uh, he finds a well. He's thirsty. And he sits down by this well. And the Samaritan woman comes out to the well with a bucket. And the story is just beginning. And already there is two strikes against this woman. First, she's a woman. Second, she's a Samaritan. It doesn't get much lower in ancient times in terms of the social and cultural ladder. But she's about to get strike three as Jesus is going to reveal and call out later in the story that she has had several husbands and the man she is now living with is not currently her husband. She is the ultimate outsider in terms of Jewish, uh, Jewish's faith and, and the, the faith, family, and friend circle. And Jesus is the ultimate insider. She's about to meet the ultimate insider. Jesus says to her, Will you give me a drink? And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answers her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. This is the moment where Jesus busts through the line of scrimmage. Right? And he's running straight at this woman, barreling full speed at her. And she has no idea about what's about to happen and how she's going to be impacted. And he initiates it all using a startling and surprising method. He simply asks a question, a favor really. He says, please, will you give me some water? It's amazing. Jesus is on this urgent mission. He's reaching out to someone who, who uh, is in hostile territory, to someone who doesn't like him. He acts out of his own humanity and his own weakness, his own need, rather than out of his divine power. In doing this, he begins a conversation that's going to tear down every barrier between men and women, Jews and Samaritans, rabbis and adulteresses, sinners and a saving God. And he does it all by first asking for a favor. Jesus is human like you and me. He knows what it means to be tired. He knows what it means to work hard, to be burnt out, to be thirsty. And he embraces this human struggle as an opportunity to lower himself and actually empower somebody who's powerless and to give value to somebody who seems or appears to be worthless. And he does it all by asking her a favor. Of course, that blows her mind, and it messes her up, and they get into this discussion, and she's not ready yet, so Jesus says, okay, you're not ready, but let me tell you something, I've got something for you then, living water. He's talking about the promise of eternal life, he's talking about the presence of God in the flesh before her right now, and the promise of the Holy Spirit to keep renewing her and giving her this life. Of course, she has no idea still what he's talking about, but she senses something big is about to happen as they continue to converse. And finally she says to him, she says, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And you know that she doesn't get it because she's like asking for a new kitchen sink, right? <laughs> she wants indoor plumbing, so she doesn't have to keep coming out to this well. She doesn't even ask for the right thing, and yet Jesus, he's going to give her something anyway. And his response again is shocking. 
Jesus collides with her. He runs right into her and he confronts her past and all the failure and spills the truth of her shame-filled life all over the sidelines. Whether she was a victim in these failed marriages or whether she was the cause of these failed marriages, it's all over the sidelines right now. But the pain of this impact is short-lived because it's followed quickly by the exhilarating truth of an even greater revelation. As Jesus tells her, I am the one you've been waiting for, the Messiah. I am he, he says to this woman. I want to tell you that it was at a well where Moses met his wife, Zipporah. Abraham's servant found Abraham's wife, Rebekah, at a well also. And Jacob met his wife, Rachel, at a well. And now we see Jesus, the bridegroom of the church, standing in front of a woman who's experienced nothing but failure in marriage. And he says to her, Let me give you what you've been looking for. Let me give you what you want, what you need, the core of your being. I love you. I want to show you what life is really all about. And she starts to drink in this water. You can see that she starts to get filled with hope of a new life, with hope of the promises that he's making to her. She tastes his mercy and his love and his forgiveness and his grace. And the living water starts to bubble up inside of her. It actually starts to run over as we see this woman run into town. And she goes and tells a bunch of people in town, come and see this man who told me everything about my life. Could it be? Could it be that this, this is the Messiah who we're waiting for? This encounter, this impact that she's had with Jesus, right, is about to impact her entire community. They run out. Because of her testimony, even though it wasn't a great testimony, she didn't have all the answers. She's asking questions. She's not sure what's going on, but she's telling them what she has just ha- what has just happened with her, just about that encounter. And they run to see Jesus, and now they have their own encounter. And John tells us, because of Jesus' words, many more become believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. An encounter with Jesus, a deep need met, and she starts pointing others to Jesus, and they come running to him, and they have their own encounter. And this community is never the same again. At the Global Leadership Summit, uh, Pastor Wilfredo de Jesus out of Chicago, they call him Pastor Choco, his church does, he uh, shared a story about how powerful conversations can be, how powerful it can be to simply ask simple questions like, how are you? How is our city doing? He was asking some of these questions, and a police commander came to him and told him, you know what, our city's not doing so well. We have an epidemic of prostitution, and we need your help. So Pastor Choco goes back, and he's trying to pray and think about what to do, and he goes and tells his secretary, go hire me five prostitutes. <laughs> not exactly what you're thinking here, but... So she goes out, and she hires him. She says, we've got a problem. This one wants $50 an hour. This one wants $35 an hour. I said, pay him what they need, all right? for an hour with five prostitutes. And, of course, he brings his wife right alongside with him. And they start to have a conversation with these women. Start to ask them about their lives and ask them about their work. Start to care for them. They treat them like royalty. And then they, they start to open up the Scriptures. They start to tell them about Jesus. Start to tell them about how Jesus has a plan for them, how Jesus loves them, how Jesus wants to rescue them, how He cares for them, how He respects them, and wants to give them dignity and a life. And something amazing happens. Right? These women encounter Jesus in and through this time, spending time with Pastor Choco in the Scriptures, spending time hearing Pastor Choco's testimony. 
Right? They encounter Jesus and they're transformed. They get up at the end of this hour and they give him his money back. And then they go into the streets and they start telling their friends. And since this day happened, over 500 women have been rescued off the streets from prostitution in Chicago. And many of these women are serving in his congregation today. Things happen when people encounter the love and grace and truth of Jesus. No matter how terrifying it is, it's exhilarating, it's life-changing. The central core of our mission here at Orchard is to engage people in conversations that they might encounter Jesus, come to know Him, come to follow Him, and see their lives changed. Of course, this isn't only for people who are far away from God. Encounters with Jesus are also for those who are following Jesus. We need those to, to stay fresh and alive ourselves. And Peter shows us that he had several encounters with Jesus. One day, Jesus comes to Peter and he's out fishing and he says, come and follow me. And Jesus leaves his boat, gets out of the boat, leaves his boat and his nets and everything behind, starts following Jesus, his first encounter. And his life is never the same. Later on, we'll see Peter get out of the boat again. And he encounters the power of Jesus as he walks on the water with him. Right? And we see Peter encounter Jesus' power time and time again. And it leads Peter to proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Savior of the world. He believed. And then he denied. He denied even knowing Jesus three times. And he would have to get out of the boat a third time to encounter the resurrected Jesus, to be restored and rediscover his purpose, his fulfillment in life. And we read about this encounter in John's final chapter. Jesus has been crucified. The guys decide to go back to doing what they had loved most before they met and started following Jesus, which was fishing. So they're out fishing one night, and they haven't caught anything all night. Night's been getting long. Morning starts to come. Jesus shows up on the beach. They have no idea, but they hear this voice calling out to them. He says, he's kind of having a little fun with them, I think, and he says, hey, guys, haven't caught any fish yet? And they're not laughing. They just say no. And so he presses a little further and says, hey, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. You'll, you'll catch something. And so they throw their nets on the other side. And all of a sudden, the net gets so full of fish that they can't pull it in. And John is the first one, or at least he credits himself as being the first one, with realizing what's going on. John kind of liked to do that. And he says, it is the Lord. And Peter gets so excited, he can't contain himself. He throws on his robe and he just dives into the water and starts swimming to shore, right? And he leaves the guys in the boat to bring the fish in the boat behind. And they all meet with Jesus on the beach. And Jesus has a charcoal fire going. And it's probably a lot like the fire that Peter had warmed himself around the night that he had denied Jesus three times, right? They all get on the beach and Jesus says, bring me some of your fish. Come and let's have breakfast together. And he invites them to breakfast. And then after breakfast... John tells us about this encounter. He says this. He says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he uses a different word for love here. He basically is saying, are you even my friend? And Peter is hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Are you even my friend? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Peter is hurt. Maybe a terrifying moment for, for, for Peter. The exhilaration comes as Jesus restores him right away to fellowship by calling him back into service. 
Right? Jesus removes the shame of three denials and replaces them with three professions of love for his friend, for his Lord, and for his Savior. And the impact of this moment will empower Peter for the rest of his life to follow and serve Jesus, to go and give testimony about Jesus, to share his word, to instruct people in the truth of God, to build his church. Then he'll encounter Jesus again in his death and resurrection. He does it all through following and serving the Lord. At Orchard, we're on a mission to help people, young and old, men and women, near and far, to encounter Jesus and have this life-changing experience, whether it's the first time or the hundredth time. It's why we worship together. It's why we invite our neighbors and family and friends to encounter Jesus on a Sunday morning. It's why we teach the Word of God, why we will teach from the Bible, because we believe that faith comes through hearing, hearing from the Word of God, that as these people heard a word from Jesus, their lives were impacted, their lives were changed. Both the Samaritan woman and Peter heard words from Jesus, and their lives were never the same. That's why we will teach from the Bible, even when it's terrifying, because we know it's always accompanying with grace and with truth and with greater revelation of how much God loves us and wants us to be a part of what he's doing in this world. It's why we host the uh, Global Leadership Summit. We invite people from outside the church or community leaders and business leaders because we know that when they come, they're actually not going to just get some great leadership coaching, but they're going to hear the word of God taught, and it's going to change their lives. We also believe people encounter Jesus through community. We see the breakfast on the beach. Right? We remember the Lord's Last Supper and they're gathered around a table and they're sharing a meal together. We know that Jesus multiplied loaves and fishes. and Something to do with eating, right? When people eat together and they have community together, people encounter Jesus. It's why we do our family meals together on Wednesday nights. Right? To give people a chance to have conversation around the meal. It's why we encourage you to get in part of a college life group and experience life together. It's why we encourage others in the church to host a college life group, to prepare a meal for some students, to maybe provide a chance for you to start asking some questions, to get to know each other, to break down barriers of age or culture, to get together and encounter Jesus together because lives will change. Last Sunday afternoon, we baptized 18 people, ages 4 to 72, in uh, Doug Tenson's pool in his backyard. Some were celebrating a first-time encounter with Jesus. Some were celebrating a number of encounters with Jesus. And we see stories just like we read about this morning. We heard faithful stories that they shared with us about their encounters with Jesus. It was powerful. One of the families there was the Kegels. And Jacob, who's 14 years old, was baptized. He was one of the first people to sign up to be baptized. We asked his mom after uh, the baptism to tell us a little bit about their story. Take a look. My name is Don Cagle, and I have uh, four boys. And I think most people at church probably know that because we put ourselves in the front row every week. We're the ones who pop up because we spill hot chocolate every week and have to go wipe it up, which you're welcome. That's why we don't sit in the sanctuary. Um, but my life is as busy as Sunday is. Um, it's but I'm beginning to appreciate the busyness in my life because if I had to sit still too long, I think the trials that I'm going through right now would be harder to deal with. And so I have uh, my own four little miracles that I think were given to me because of um, what I've been going through. I got diagnosed with stage four melanoma uh, last September. And uh, it was rather disappointing because uh, the bump that I had initially found, I was told twice, was, uh, was something else, with blood clot, harmless. But I had this perpetual nagging sensation that whatever that was didn't belong there, I wanted it out. 
And a week later, I got a call saying I had melanoma. And a week or two later, I found out it was not just melanoma, it was stage four melanoma. So that was really shocking. Um, my family history, I don't really know hardly anybody in my family that has cancer. I know friends and other people with cancer, but it was, it was something completely blindsided. And I'm, I'm not a sun worshiper. I'm pretty pasty most of the time. So this is kind of a shocker cancer to be saddled with, just completely unexpected. I couldn't be more fired up to have a 14-year-old who's fired up. I mean, he's just, he could look at all this stuff going on with me and it could make him very angry. He's at that age where he could choose to be mad about what's going on with his mom. But he's not. He's, it caused him to lean on him even more. And, you know, you're a teenager and you're in junior high and, you know, and you like to wear shirts that say God's not dead on them or whatever. And he brings his Bible to study hall. Not very many kids bring their Bible to study hall. And it's just, it couldn't make me more proud. And he was the one who had asked us about being baptized. I'm just so grateful that him as a teenager, he has Jesus. You know, I kind of knew Jesus, but I, I didn't talk to him. I didn't really ask for his help in junior high, high school. And so, I mean, I just couldn't be more proud and, and just thankful for Orchard because you guys have a way, along with the chaos program, of just making kids. Well, number one, it just makes loving Jesus cool, which it should be. But just all that um, community, and it, it, it's just so great to have your kids to have faith now and not have to have a bad thing happen where then they get on their knees and they pray for help or whatever number of things that sometimes finally make you get on your knees when life's too hard to stand, you know? And he's already on his knees and life isn't so bad. And I think that's great. It's, it's good. Dawn has an encounter with Jesus in an unexpected, undesirable kind of way. And Jesus meets her, starts meeting her needs where she's at. Jacob, her son's watching this the entire time, watching Jesus' just faithfulness to walk with her through this time. And then Jesus, and Jacob encounters Jesus through this, these moments, seeing this. He encounters Jesus through chaos, through our volunteers, many of them college students serving. Encounters Jesus again and he says, I want to be baptized. I want to follow Jesus. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to follow him the rest of my life. And his life has changed forever. We see story after story like this. Out of the baptism, Valda, one of our worship leaders, shared her story. Amazing. She uh, uh, had encountered Jesus at a very young age, and then she, uh, she started following Jesus, and she encountered him again then at a youth camp, which is a little bit older, in high school or junior high. And she was worshiping Jesus in this encounter, and she closed her eyes, and on one eyelid, she sees the word worship, and on the other eyelid, she sees the word leader. And it wasn't too long after this that Tim Walson asked her to audition to become a worship leader here at Orchard Hill Church. And Jesus just fulfills this promise to her. She becomes a worship leader here at our service. And then this summer, she has another encounter with Jesus on caravan. And after these several encounters, she decides to fully give her life over to Jesus. For Him to become her Savior and her Lord. And then she gets baptized. And then, just like the Samaritan woman, right, she goes and as she's telling her story, now her niece hears the story while we're baptizing people. And her young niece says, I, I want to do that. I, I want what she's got. Right? I want to follow Jesus. I want to be baptized. And she comes out to be baptized. And then her nephew says, I want to be baptized. I want this too. And he comes out. And then her mom, just like Peter, just dives into the water and starts coming out and says, baptize me. I want this too. Right? Several encounters her mom had had. Several encounters. The story spreads. Just like Johnny said, it's contagious. There's nothing more uh, incredible than being a part 
of encountering Jesus through serving Him and seeing people's lives change. We want to encourage you to join us in this mission, to join us this year as we go out to try to help people encounter Jesus, as we look for encounters with Him ourselves, knowing that our lives will be forever changed. We want to do this together. Uh, Will you pray with me? Father, it is so encouraging to hear these stories of how you are right here in our midst and how people are still encountering you today, the risen Lord, and their lives are being forever changed. What a privilege it is that you would come to us, Lord, broken people just like Peter, people who have messed up, people who have denied you, people who have run from you. You would come to us, you would restore us, you would say, feed my sheep. I want you to come. I have living water. Your sins are forgiven. You are worthy. You're equipped. Now join me and serve me. Lord, help us to know. Lord, we hear this message corporately as a body, um, and we can catch that vision, but also speak to us individually. Help us to know what our individual call might look like within the larger context so that we can pick up a paddle, jump in the raft, and go uh, have an adventure with you, encountering you time and time again, and and, uh, becoming contagious followers to bring others along with us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.